0: Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit Martinskirk.com. Our sermon text this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you want to follow along, is Luke chapter one, verses forty-six through fifty-five, so you don't have far to turn you've already been there. This is the Song of Mary. It's actually, you'll see here in a little bit, we skipped over a section that we'll, we'll cover throughout the sermon, but I want to read this passage real quick and then we'll pray. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. To Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Let us pray. God our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And may we sing this song as a church of Jesus Christ. One that's been redeemed, one that has been exalted in Christ. Brought from a lowly station and made new in Jesus her King Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now in our circles, in, the, in our Christian circles, especially the Protestant, uh, Protestant circles we run in, we tend to have a hard time talking about Mary, the mother of our Lord. There are many traditions throughout church history that have held to either erroneous or maybe even heretical views of Mary. So it, it seems reasonable that we don't often talk about her especially in in this climate between divisions in the church. And we certainly don't seem to elevate her above other Christians throughout Scripture. But the Gospels seem to give her a lot of airtime, especially the Gospel of Luke. They give her a lot of room. And reverence shown to her office and her role is actually undeniable. Her role in redemptive history is rather special. So we have to ask the questions... Before we, before we start on the song that Mary is singing here in Luke chapter 1, we have to ask these two important questions. Who was Mary and why is she important? Now before I answer that, let me start by clarifying, listing my reformed bona fides, right? That, that we must clarify that anything that we know about Mary, that we believe about Mary, about who she was and why she's important must begin and end with the Holy Scriptures and what the Holy Scriptures reveal to us. So first of all, she was not born without sin. She was not assumed into the heavenly places at her death. She was not a co-redeemer or a co-mediator with Jesus Christ. She is not our Savior. The Roman Catholic Church is wrong here. But apart from that, apart from what seemed to be obvious errors in the Roman Church... The question still remains about who she is and why she is important. Well, as we'll see, we'll see this morning, she is actually a picture for us of the church of Jesus Christ. She is a picture of a sinner in need of the grace of God just like us. Her Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ just like us. But her role in the redemption of the world was to be a foreshadowing of the glorious body of Christ. The church. She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, just as the church will be only 33 years later. She bore the presence of God, just like the church is united to Christ by the Spirit. She longed for the appearance of the Son of God during her pregnancy, just as the church longs for the second coming of our Lord. But the link between Mary and the church actually extends even further, further back than Pentecost. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, just, just a chapter before our reading this morning, our Old Testament reading, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see almost an exact parallel between the Ark of the Covenant and Mary in Luke chapter 1. If you'll notice that gap that we, we had between, uh, between the visitation of, of, of Mary with Gabriel, and then Mary's song after visiting Elizabeth, that gap is almost an exact Uh, a correlation between 2 Samuel chapter 6. Mary, still pregnant with Jesus, traveled just as the ark did into the hill country and into the house of a priest. 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 9 says this, David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And Elizabeth, daughter of Aaron, who was obviously... ...of a priestly line, and her husband, Zacharias, who was a priest in the temple. Both of them, upon seeing Mary, well, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, upon seeing Mary, visiting her home, says this. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, lest we think that that's just a coincidence, it goes even further. The ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom, a Levite and a priest, for three months... Mary remained with Elizabeth and Zacharias the priest for three months. Even more, David danced for joy before the ark while wearing a linen ephod, which is a a priestly garment. John the baptizer, the son of a Levite, leaped in the womb of Elizabeth upon meeting Mary and Jesus. So Mary is acting as an ark of the covenant... Carrying the presence of God back to an Israel who is in exile. An Israel who is unfaithful. And ultimately, Mary is a picture of the church to come, who will be the dwelling place of the presence of God. She is the sign, not the fulfillment. Right? She is the sign, not the fulfillment. This shows us how to interpret this song of hers. This is not just the song of Mary. This is our song. This is the song of the church. The church will be called blessed from generation to generation because the Lord has been merciful to us and has fulfilled his promise. His promise, because the Lord has been merciful to us and has come. Jesus is the promised gift to the world. And the only proper response to this gift is the faith-filled worship of the church in remembrance of his great mercies. God has blessed us He has been merciful to us and has exalted us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And our worship is a response to this reality. To this reality that Christ has come and has exalted the lowly and blessed His people. That He has conquered His enemies and that He will come again. That is what our worship is. It is thanksgiving to God for His wondrous works in Jesus Christ. And Mary begins with worship in verse 46. She has been given the gift of bearing the Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And her response is faith and joy. That is her only response, is faith and joy to this good news. She says that her soul magnifies the Lord. This is an example of her inward affections, of her faith that she has in her. She doesn't just praise the Lord with her lips. She actually believes Him. She actually believes Him. So she's a striking example or contrast between the unfaithful Israel of her day, who wore whitewashed tombs, who praised God with their lips but did not believe in Him. And then from this faith come her words in the form of music. Her spirit rejoices in God her Savior. Notice here, just as a side note, that she says her Savior. right? So any, any speculation about whether or not she needed forgiveness of sins is uh, totally done away with with this particular verse. She needed a Savior. She needs saving to begin with, just as the church needs a Savior. But also notice that the Spirit is associated with music in the Scriptures. She isn't rejoicing in her head. She's not just thinking about the wonderful mercies of her Lord. She isn't just writing them down. She's singing them. Ephesians chapter 5 describes being filled with the Spirit. As speaking songs, hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Notice again that outward expression. Speaking psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And then that inward uh, faith. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Her faith is expressed outwardly to bless the Lord and to bless those around her. And she calls herself also a lowly maidservant. A lowly maidservant. This would be like calling yourself a slave to someone. This isn't just a helper, it's not just somebody who helps in the kitchen every now and then. This is someone who is enslaved to someone. She is, in in this context, enslaved to God. She can do no other thing than to obey him. And she loves that obedience. But God regarded her her lowly state and blessed her uniquely. The Lord separated her from all other women for a particular task. Sounds a lot like the church from the rest of the world. She wasn't anything special until the Lord actually made her special, set her apart for her purposes. He saved her and exalted her from her lowly station. Just as he he saves us and exalts us from our lowly station. He has regarded us, the lowly, the humble, and has blessed us forever in Christ Jesus. And every generation, just like every generation will look on the special role of Mary. Every generation looks on the church of Jesus Christ as blessed. And is this not the foundation for our worship? Is this not the reason why we believe on Jesus Christ? Is this not the reason why we pray? Why we sing? Why we give thanks to God each and every week? The foundation for our worship is that God has taken poor, miserable sinners like us and has exalted us and given us forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has exalted us from our lowly station and united us to himself. That is the reason for our worship, the foundation for our worship. So, like Mary, we ascend into the hill country, the heavenly hills, the heavenly kingdom. Like Mary, we are saved from our sins. Like Mary, we lift up our voices in thanks and praise to Him, and we are filled with heavenly food, even the body and blood of our Lord. Mary is acting like a moving ark, a moving temple, a moving tabernacle. Like the temple made with living stones. The moving temple that we can see all around us here this morning. The church. So we are participating in the Song of Mary right now. That is what we are doing. And what does God do when we ascend into his presence? Well, he reveals himself. He reveals himself to us. That's why John's uh, John's letter is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's the it's the revealing of Jesus to us, and that is what happens when we ascend into His presence. He reveals Himself to us, and this is what happens in Mary's song, verses ninety or oh, sorry forty nine, not ninety. Goodness, forty nine through fifty. You can see that here. She says, "For He who is mighty has done great things for me." So we see His might. He reveals his might through his strength and his good works. And holy is his name. So we see his holiness. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He reveals his mercy to us. So Jesus is revealed as powerful, as holy and merciful to those who fear him from generation to generation. That means forever. For all time. And Jesus' power shows his kingship. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He fights on our behalf. His holiness shows his priesthood over the house of Israel. He is the holy one who enters into the throne room of God on our behalf, bringing us along with him by his spirit. His mercy shows his prophetic office. Think of Abraham speaking with God, sparing Lot's family in Sodom. He speaks on our behalf before God, staying his wrath and his judgment. So, when we come into the presence of God to worship, this is how he reveals himself as king, as priest, and as prophet. And if you are in Christ, he has done great things for you. He has gone before you and has conquered your enemies, sin, Satan, and death, so that you may be saved. He has entered where you could not. Bringing you with him through the cleansing blood and water flowing from his side. He has shown you mercy by advocating on your behalf before God's throne. And he has promised his power, holiness and mercy not only to you, not only to the person next to you, but to the generations, the generations to come from generation to generation of those who fear him. So when you look at our children in the pews. You can see the the power and holiness and mercy shown to them and to their children and to their children's children. And as, as many as God calls unto himself. As Exodus 34 says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That word thousands isn't talking about thousands of people. It's talking about thousands of generations of people. That's how far his mercy goes. This is the God we serve in our call to love and to obey. So we need to respond the same way that Mary does. With faith and with joy at the sound of this good news. In verses 51 through 55, we see a third portion of this This song, Mary tells us of the works of our Lord on behalf of his people, and she describes them in the past tense. Notice how she says, he has, he has. Remember that Jesus hadn't been born yet. She's still, he's still in the womb of Mary. But her faith in the fulfillment of a promise God gave to Abraham and to his seed is so strong that it's as if God has already accomplished it. It says that God has already done these things. And He has throughout the history of Israel. But they will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the coming seed of Abraham. The promise made to Abraham in Genesis 17 says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And in Genesis 22, it goes on to say, In your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And Paul notices that singular seed in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And then he goes on to later clarify at the end of chapter 3. And if you are Christ, if you're his possession, his slave, his, his servant. If you are Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all the works that Mary mentions here are to accomplish and fulfill that covenant made with Abraham and to his seed. And to bless all the nations of the earth. And in order to do this, in order to bless them, in order to bring about this fulfillment of his promise, he must show the strength of his arm. He must scatter the proud, meaning to foil their plans and their plots He must put down the mighty from their thrones and then he must exalt the lowly. He must feed the hungry and he must send away the rich empty. And help Israel in his mercy. Those works are divided in judgment and in mercy. Judgment for the wicked and exaltation for the humble, for the lowly. The works of salvation are grace to the humble. And judgment to the proud. And all of this, grace and judgment found in the works of God, is promised in the blessing of the nations through the seed that is through Jesus. And his church, his people who have been exalted and have been lifted up in Christ Jesus, his people are counted blessed are counted blessed on account of these works. We are lifted from our lowly state and exalted as co-heirs with Christ Jesus in His heavenly kingdom. And all of this is sure and accomplished before it ever happens. We taste that every week. We taste that participation in this exaltation. But we don't see the fulfillment yet. The the completion, the, the consummation of all things when Christ comes again. And yet... It's already accomplished. It's already been done. Christ said on the cross, it is finished. All of this is sure and accomplished before it even ever happens. Because the Lord has promised it. Because his word is forever sure, forever true. So just this promise, just this word that has been given to us. Of the coming of the seed of Abraham. The new king through whom the nations will be blessed. From just this promise. Comes surety of its fulfillment. And Mary gives us a glimpse into that faith and hope in God's appearing in Luke chapter 1, in this song of Mary, this song of the church. Like Mary, we should be able to rejoice in the fact that our salvation has actually come. We should be a people marked with this kind of joy. This isn't a manufactured happiness. This isn't good vibes that we may feel just to get through a rough day. This is a deep-rooted joy based on the faith that we have in Christ Jesus and on the promises of God. A deep-rooted faith and joy based on the promises of God. And this faith and joy cannot help but be expressed in thanks toward God... For his kindness and mercy shown to us in Christ Jesus. So ultimately, this is what worship is. This is what we are doing. This is what worship is. The expression of thanks for the faith given to us. And it is rooted in the promise, the word of God. And the church's worship not only focuses on the works that God has already done in history... Though it is that. We remember those works and we thank God for them. But it's also rooted in the promises of his works in the future. And this is the heart of Advent. The promises of God's work. Not only just in his coming to us in the Son of Jesus Christ. In his incarnation. But also in his coming in the future. For Mary, her praise was an expectation of Christ's birth. For the church... Our expectation is the coming of our Lord on the last day. And just as Mary saying that his works have been accomplished already. We can say that as well. Remember what Paul says, for the promises of God are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. So when he promises something, it is done. When he has said it, it is done. It's through, it's over. It will be accomplished. So, Christian, you have been given the seed of Abraham. You have been given a blessing beyond all understanding. Beyond all measure. If you fear the Lord, you have been promised salvation through Jesus Christ. The only proper response to you, the only proper response to that, as you wait for the coming of your Lord, is to worship. It's to worship. And all of our lives should be centered around this worship. It should be centered around the worship of God. Sundays should be the highlight of the week. What you do at home should be preparation for what we do here. It should be preparation to see the face of God, to participate in the coming of our Lord Jesus. Sundays should be the climax of the week, the fulfillment of all your hopes and expectations, because this is where Christ meets us in a special way. Here you participate in the coming of your Lord. Here you are blessed beyond all understanding. Here you are given the promised gift of your Lord Jesus. So prepare your families for this coming during the week. Prepare them. Spend time praying. Spend time singing. Spend time participating in the faith and hope and joy that you have in Christ. Spend time reading the word of God together. Get to work. Do this in your families. Prepare yourself and the people you've been entrusted with to meet their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, what we do here in worship on Sunday mornings is preparation for that final day when we will worship God before His throne for all eternity. This is preparation for us as the people of God set apart And blessed among the nations. So remember that to fear the Lord means to love Him and to keep His commandments. It means not only an outward expression, it means not only keeping His commandments, but to love Him, to have a sincere inward affection. And it not only means to have that inward confession, where in your head you confess Christ, but with your hands and with your mouth you do not. It has to be both. It has to be both. Like Mary, your soul must magnify the Lord and your spirit must rejoice in God your Savior. And not only this, but every square inch of the world is Christ. We all know that famous quote by Abraham Kuyper. Every square inch of this earth is Christ. But that also includes every square inch of your mind, of your soul, of your heart, of your strength. Every square inch of your living room, of your kitchen, of your dining room, of your bedroom, every square inch of your workplace, your school, your internet browser, every square inch of your whole life should be marked from top to bottom with the good news of the coming of the Son of God. And if it's not, if it's not, this is the season to change it. Salvation has come. Does your life show it? Are you hopeful? Are you joyful? Do you believe? Do you actually believe that Christ has come? And will come again? Your king has already won. Does your life show it? You have been exalted from your lowly state. Does your life show it? We talked about the absolution of sin in our Sunday school. Does your life show Show that you are forgiven. Or do you still wallow in your sin? Let your soul magnify the Lord. And your spirit rejoice in God your Savior. For he has regarded your lowly state. For behold, henceforth all generations will call you blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for you. Holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation generation the generation. Does your life show it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.